Man, go ahead, have a seat. Ushers, you can come forward. Let's give out how God has given to us because it's all from God. It's all for God. If you're here for the first, second, or third time and you got that connection card as you walked in with a million blanks in it, uh, you've got the rest of the day to fill that out. And then as you head out, uh, there will be some really nice people on your right today uh, who have a gift for you. It's not a Costco-sized teddy bear. It's something you can carry to your car or carry as you walk home. Uh, a way of us saying you matter to us and you made this place matter to you this morning. So thank you so much for being here. So we're going to start new series today. It is called Living Out the Truth, and it is all going to be in the book of 1 Timothy. If you've got a paper and ink Bible, it's probably 90% of the way to the back. Uh, if you've got an app and you can alphabetize the stuff, it's right in the ones section. Uh, 1 Timothy is where we're going to be. Uh, and we're looking, we're calling it Living Out the Truth because there are tons of areas in all of our lives where we are taught, even from a young age, to hide the truth and live out what's fake. I think about my own life in this. I was thinking about this earlier in the week. Uh, when I was really little, I saw the movie E.T. And one thing that I picked up from E.T. Uh, is that you can fake sick by getting your thermometer when your mom or dad gives it to you to prove that you're actually sick and not just faking it. And you stick it right next to your bed lamp. And then you put it right back in your mouth before they come in. Uh, so I was sick for a while uh, and found out how great it was to stay at home and watch TV in my pajamas and eat food all day. Uh, and I, like, I woke up one morning feeling good, like better, back to normal, which means school, unfortunately, which is really bad. Uh, so my mom came in, did the thermometer thing, left, and I had a top bunk, and there's a light on my ceiling. And so I took the thermometer and stuck it right next to the light for what was probably a little bit too long. Uh, and then I walked out to breakfast and showed her the thermometer that said, with the smile, all excited, ready to go, I have a 108-degree fever, Mom. I'm staying home. Uh, and then I turned around and walked back into my room to put on my clothes, get ready for school, because kids, life is not always like the movies, and mom does not always buy the thermometer right next to the light bulb trick. But as followers of Jesus, we literally have no reason to not live out truth. Everything about who we are, all of our weaknesses, all of our shortcomings, Every amount of brokenness in us, we can be honest about. We can live in the truth in this because we worship a God who knows perfectly, better than anyone else, how busted and how broken we really are because he's the God who forgave our sins and dealt with everything. So we're starting today looking at 1 Timothy and what it is to live out the truth. And Paul is writing this. Paul is, a, is an older pastor who's writing to a younger pastor named Timothy. And he's saying, I want you to live out the truth. He's, this whole thing is addressed to Timothy. But the understanding is that he's going to be reading this out loud as a church. And so everybody is going to be hearing what Paul is telling Timothy. And so he's saying, I want you to live out the truth for your benefit, for your church's benefit, and for your city's benefit. And so as we're looking at living out the truth today, we're going to see six areas where living out the truth matters for us. And the first one of those that, that 1 Timothy has for us is God saying in the book that he wrote, he's saying, I want you to live out the truth in a place that matters. I, Timothy was a pastor in a place called Ephesus. Ephesus is a city in the Mediterranean world where Paul, the guy who's writing the letter, visited to start a church. He got there. He was around a bunch of Jewish people, which is the, God's people throughout the Bible. Uh, and, and he starts telling people about Jesus, and he begins to pray for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that's what happens. People begin speaking in unknown languages. It's the gift of tongues. And, and the church grows from there. It's this group of people who didn't know God 
uh, in the form of Jesus, and instead they meet the Holy Spirit because Paul is going to come tell them about who Jesus is as, as the Messiah, as God with skin on, going to pray for them for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And then what God started in them begins to explode through them, through their community. So what starts with this small group of people begins to grow and grow. And this church, which started from one person going to pray for people, now is expanded through the whole city. And in Acts 19, we get like the behind-the-scenes story of the beginning of this church in Ephesus. Acts 19, 17, it says this, The story of what happened spread quickly through all of Ephesus from, to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery, brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several millions of dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. That's the effect of, of Jesus coming in and taking hold of people's lives. They're not just going to let it stay within them, but it's going to go over every area of your life. Like I say often, when you become a Christian, you're not just adding Jesus onto the top of your life like a topping at Cold Stone. You're saying, Jesus, I'm going to let you in. Everything about me, everything about me is now subjected to the cross, where you came to give your perfection for my brokenness. So now every single part of me now is going to be lived the way that you want me to live. And so for these people in this city, as a place that matters, that meant for them that was walking away from witchcraft. It was walking away from what was like the city's religion. So they said, Jesus is better than witchcraft, so we're going to burn our books, our witchcraft books. And this was great for the church, and it was really bad for the people who profited from selling these witchcraft books. And so they gather together, they start to get angry because their idol, their fake God had been torn down. And, uh, and they form this violent mob, like they're ready to go kill themselves, some Christians. And so they go and they grab two of Paul's companions. Paul sees what's going on. He runs out of town, uh, and they take the people there, like, to the city square. They're about ready to, to kill these people. A huge riot is ensuing, and the government comes in and says, stop this. You need to go home. So the witchcraft guys, they, they leave the Christians alone. They go home. Paul hears about what happened, and he comes back to meet with the leaders of this church in Ephesus. But instead of going to Ephesus, he meets them a few miles out of town, and he says this to them in Acts 20, uh, verse 28. He says, guard yourselves in God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men for your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. So watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you, night and day, and my many tears for you. And now I entrust you to God, to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those that he has set apart for himself. And after that, Paul leaves. He spent three years in a place that matters with this group of people. He's grown them up as Christians. He's grown them up in the faith. He's, he's spent time with him and their family, and he's left Timothy as the leader of the church. And now he's off to start the same thing somewhere else. And so what we have in 1 Timothy is a 15 years later kind of reunion with that meeting. He can't be there in person, so he's sending a letter to, to like double back on what he said earlier about how you need to live out the truth. And he's saying that to Ephesus as a place that matters. He's writing to correct some internal issues that for the sake of lost people have gone wrong. 
And for us as a church, we can look at this and we can, we can gain stuff from here. We can gain stuff from a letter written thousands of years ago, thousands of miles away, because the local church is the hope of the world. And so what Paul is saying here is, I want you to come back to who you were created to be. There are some things that have gone wrong, but none of it is outside of God's power to heal and to change. And so I want you to live out this truth now in this place that matters. And the first thing that he leads them in is he says, I want you to live out the truth because outsiders matter. Live out the truth because outsiders matter. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, that's where we're going to be for the rest of the day in 1 Timothy chapter 1, so get comfortable. Verse 3, he says, when I left for Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculation, which does not help people live a life of faith in God. The, the thing that's unique about the Christian church, it was unique for the church in Ephesus, it was unique for us here, it was unique uh, for Greg when he was in Kenya, is that the church exists for people inside the family, but equally for people who have never been to Mountain View Sunnyside, who have no clue what goes on at Sunnyside High School on a Sunday morning, and have definitely no clue about Jesus who loved them and gave his life for them. For us as a church, that's what our heart is going to beat for us, for people who are far from God to hear about the love of God and become incorporated into the people of God. That's our mission as a church, is to be constantly looking around us to see who are the people we know who don't yet know Jesus, and how can we introduce those people to Jesus, because Jesus is wildly crazy about them. And what's happened in the church of Ephesus is that has gone completely by the wayside. Instead of focusing on what's going on outside, they've turned everything inward, and it's gotten toxic. You see, in these discussions, like they're not, they don't belong here in the church. They're the type of things that chase away lost people and the type of things that chase away people who are Christians and say, this is crazy, I'm out of here. Like, this isn't how this is supposed to be. Years ago, Anna and I were at a wedding. It was in Santa Cruz, like outside of Santa Cruz in the mountains. It was really nice, tons of trees everywhere, lots of grass, uh, and in the hills, like, around the wedding, uh, there were lots of houses. And one guy in this house uh, had a really big guitar amplifier. And we couldn't see it. We could only hear it. Because like halfway through the ceremony, guy turns on his amplifier. And you know like when a guitar amplifier is turned on, there's a little buzz that you can hear. And so I'm sitting there in the ceremony. I'm like, that's a guitar amplifier. There's no guitar out there at the wedding place thing with the bride and the groom and the pastor and stuff. This is going to get gnarly. Uh, and so from many, many hundreds of yards away, we started to hear really bad smoke on the water because beginner Johnny guitar guy is playing because he's not that good yet. And I'm looking at the wedding thing like if that was mine, I would be like, Settling some things afterwards with a guy who can play guitar really loudly and not very well because smoke on the water doesn't belong at a wedding ceremony. If you're about to get married and you have a plan for smoke on the water being incorporated into your ceremony, I'm sure it's going to be amazing. But this time, like, it, it didn't work. Like, like that, those two things don't go together. And Paul is saying that's what's going on right here. Smoke on the water, wedding ceremony doesn't go together. Weird teaching that chases away lost people from the church doesn't go together. And so we need to live out the truth about who we are as a church because outsiders matter. And for the people in Ephesus, this shouldn't surprise them because their church started the same way we started with churches, that there was a point in our lives where we were far from Jesus. And someone told us about Jesus. It could have been a parent, it could have been a sibling, it could have been 
a pastor who had a relationship with one of your friends, and so you heard about it from them. But we heard about Jesus, we gave our life to Jesus, and then everything changed for us. And what happened here, what happened in this sense, was they had completely forgotten about that. This whole thing about looking outside had stopped and everything was insider focused and then people were arguing over non-essentials and leaving the faith altogether. And so Paul writes to say, we need to figure this out. We need to fix this. We need to stop this. And so the second thing, or the third thing he says is you need to live out the truth because grace matters. He's saying these discussions that are chasing people away, they aren't good. I mean, there's a lot of things for us to talk about and, and to think about. And, that, and we can even argue a little bit about uh, who we are as Christians and how that shapes our faith. But nobody's theology and nobody's understanding of God is central to our faith. Our faith is based on an action that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. Not just about beliefs, it's based about an action. And so Paul explains that next. Verse 5, he says, The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. But some people have missed the whole point. They've turned away from these things and spend their time in meaningless discussions. And they want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't know what they're talking about, even though they speak so confidently. We know that the law is good when it's used correctly. For the law was not intended for people who do what's right. It's intended for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, who kill their father or mother or commit other murders. The law is for people who are sexually immoral or practice homosexuality or are slave traders and liars and promise breakers or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God, just in case I forgot anybody. The point of that is that at some point in that list, we all fall. There's some point where through that list, we stand before God as guilty. And we live out the truth because grace matters. In our guilt, God looks at us and through Jesus pours out grace over us. That's the message of the cross. That's why Christians love crosses. is because it's where God saw us in our sinfulness, in our rebellion, in our far distance away from him. And instead of continuing to live in that separation, he sent Jesus into the world to end that separation. And so what's gone on in there is instead of looking at that, people have looked at this thing that Paul calls the law. It's from the Old Testament. It's Exodus chapter 20 and a lot of chapters following that uh, where God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, the ten things that we need to do to live a godly life. Jesus fulfills those. Jesus talks about those all the time. Jesus reduces them from ten to two to one. But for this group of people and for us, really, the Ten Commandments are still big of a thing. It's still a big deal, but for them where they had gone wrong was that the law is meant to do one thing, and they were trying to use it as a measuring stick for us to build up and look good before Jesus. What the law does is it focuses like an x-ray in all of our lives. All right, if you've ever gotten an x-ray before, that means that something has gone totally wrong in your body, and nobody gets an x-ray and leaves the table and says, I feel so much better I got an x-ray. What an x-ray does is it shows what's busted. It shows what's broken in us. And that's what the law does. It's 10 things where God lays out, this is what I want from you. And for all of us, me included, we don't measure up to the 10. But instead of saying, okay, this is something that shows my brokenness and it's going to push me to God, they've said, these are the 10 things that I have to do because I'm better than you and you can be like me someday and you can accomplish all 10. That's not what grace is. Grace is unmerited, undeserved favor that Jesus pours out over us. 
It's what happened at the cross where his righteousness becomes our righteousness. And the x-ray, the law, what it does is it pushes us towards Jesus. And what had happened in Ephesus was it had become a battle to measure up and to see who could do it better. And Paul's saying, no, that's not the point of this. The point is grace. The point is that Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf because we never, ever could, ever in a million years. We can't do it. What Jesus did was he did it for us so that we could have a relationship with God through Jesus. And so Paul continues that. He says, living out the next thing is we live out the truth because new life matters. This is where Paul goes from talking about them and talking about God. He's saying, this is my bio. This is my story. This is the way that it happened with me. Verse 12, it says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do his work. He considers me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. There's a different point in a different letter where Paul says, okay, that law that you have that you're using as a scorecard, at one point, at one point, I was blameless. Like, I had a perfect game. I had 300 points in bowling. I had 27 outs in baseball. Like, this is me. I nailed it all, but I found out that that didn't end in anything good. In fact, it's garbage compared to knowing Jesus. And that's what he talks about next in verse 14. He says, oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with faith and love that comes from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. And that's the story of the church in Ephesus. That's our story too. That Jesus didn't come into the world for arguments and nuances. He came into the world to change lives. He came into the world to intersect us at whatever point we fell in that list and to change everything. There's a few times in Paul's letters where he would make a list like that, and this is what's going on. And in 1 Corinthians 6, he does it perfectly, just like nails the argument. He does a big list, and he says, some of you were once like that. We look at the list, and we got to say, yeah, yeah, some of us were still were once like that. There's still areas where we fight going back to that. And then he says, but God changed you. God cleansed you. God called you to himself through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. And now we live new lives. We live out the truth because our old lives can be our old lives. Because grace matters and because new life matters. And this week, in a really fun way, we're going to get to see a way that this, like we're going to get an example of this, okay? Because Wednesday, all sorts of people are going to dress up as all sorts of things, all right? Some of them will wear their goofy garbs and costumes to work, and you will look at that person and you're thinking, how do I work at the same place as that? Uh, and, and you can even go as whatever you want. That's Wednesday, all right? People will dress up crazy and they will go to doors and they will get candy, but that's Wednesday, Thursday, all of that changes, right? You go to doors, you go door to door dressed up as a crazy person on Thursday, and the police show up. Wednesday, it's totally different. Thursday, it's a new reality. You put on regular clothes, you do your job, you enjoy life as a regular person. Wednesday, different story. Thursday, that's how it is. That's one of the weird things about Halloween is everybody like trashes their neighborhood with, with everything. And then Thursday, everything's perfect again. I love Thursday. But 
in high school, like I, I dressed up, I think, one year. The only year that I remember, because it went kind of wrong, uh, I decided I would be a goth for Halloween, because uh, I had a lot of the clothes already, and my sister had eyeliner and black lipstick. Uh, so I, I did me, and then I got a little bit of help from her, uh, and so I walked around school like that. It was great. It was a very easy costume, and it was free. Yes. Later that afternoon, I had a cross-country meet, which means I'm wearing the little shorts and the tank top, uh, and I've got to wash my face. And as a dude, I don't have any experience washing makeup off my face. Right? There are a number of things that I can do in life. Makeup on face, not one of them. Uh, and so I go to the bathroom, and like you get that horrible hand soap that feels like it's made from rocks. Uh, back in school in the 90s, and I scrub that, and I rub it on my face, look at the mirror, I'm like, I am golden. Not only do I already look good, but now like, I, I've got no more stuff on my face. Uh, so I thought. And at cross-country meets, there aren't a lot of mirrors, so I didn't really know what I looked like until I saw pictures of the race afterwards, which was not as good, because I still, from like here to here, was still wearing the Halloween costume, and from everywhere else, I was wearing the dumb tank top and the itty-bitty shorts. That's not living a new life. We live out the truth because new life matters. Because there's a face wash in Jesus that's better than me and the powdered soap in the school bathroom. Because it doesn't just change our face, it changes our heart, it changes our desires, it changes our power to carry out new life. We live out the truth because new life matters and Jesus wants to remind us of that every day possible, every way possible. And then he gives us two things to work on. We live out the truth because every battle matters. I love that, that this book is written to a church in a city that was a spiritual hotbed of demonic activity. It's not like the people who wrote the Bible said, how about we just stick to where it's easy and conservative and we're not going to have any issues. No, no, no. They go to the city that is the center of pagan witchcraft cult worship. And God says, I'm going to plant a church there. And what that does to us is it reminds us that every single battle in life matters. And for a lot of us, we are fighting battles every single day. Battles to follow Jesus, battles to let go of our old life, battles to walk into the new life that Jesus has for us, to wash off the makeup, wash off the costume of our old life. And so that's what Paul says. He says, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions to you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. Cling to your faith in Christ, which means remind yourself every day that Jesus is worth it, that this battle you fight is not just you on your own, but you are fighting under the power of the king of everything. And he's going to be with you always, even until the end of the age. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear, which means that when you lose your battle, that you make stuff right fast, that you take U-turns fast, that you don't go back to your old way of living because that's a battle that you don't want to fight. You live out the truth because every battle matters. And then he goes out of us because we live out the truth because all people matter. He says, for some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith have been shipwrecked. Hymenius and Alexander are two, two examples. I threw them out and I handed them over to Satan so they may learn not to blaspheme God. And our, our job as Christians and the way that this church started and something that they understood at one point and need to be brought back to is that we live out our faith because every person matters. We are all men and women, sons of daughters of God. 
that, that are headed one of two ways in eternity. And what Jesus wants to use those of us here as Christians, or the way that he wants to use us, is to take the truth that matters, to embolden us, to empower us, and then to send us out, to declare that everywhere, in our homes, in our jobs, around our friends, around our family. But to live out the truth, because under God, with God, and through us, all people matter. And so we look at this, we look at living out the truth and for us, right away, week one, that means that we want to find freedom from sin. We want to find freedom in battles that we've been fighting for, for a long time for some of us and see God move in in power. And we want to see people that we've been praying for and investing in say yes to Jesus because Jesus' truth for them, for us, through us matters. That's how God wants to use us. So stand and pray.